Well, I want to bring to you the word this morning. We're going to be looking, if you have your Bibles, at uh, Colossians chapter 2 and 3 as our main chapters. And uh, for your life groups, if you're meeting this weekend or through the week, uh, Colossians chapter 3 is going to be the passage that we're looking at. And uh, But this morning we're going to talk a little bit uh, around the power of the resurrection and why that's important to you and uh, why it's important to us as believers and uh, why it's not something that should just be looked over from those who perhaps uh, tick the box Christian but don't believe in the resurrection or those who perhaps uh, have never actually even thought about the resurrection and why it's so important. Why even celebrate Easter? It wasn't something that was 2,000 years ago. And so I want to take you through some of the scriptures as to why this is important, why it was the main part of their gospel and uh, what that means for you, our part to play and uh, so let's have a look and we're firstly going to have a look at Romans chapter 4 verse 25. Paul says this about Jesus, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. He was delivered over to death for our sins, he was raised to life for our justification. So two things, his death and his resurrection. I want you to imagine for a moment that you've been given a brand new property and uh, you had in mind to build one of those new, greatest designs, smart homes uh, on this property. So you employed an architect and uh, had all the designs made up, the specifications, the engineering, everything is ready. And so you send that into the council. That's your application. And then uh, you cannot build yet until you actually have the council's approval in writing to say, you have the legal right to build. Go for it. At that point, it's all down to, uh, let's say you've already got all the money, you've got everything ready to go. It's all down to actually building it, uh, putting those foundations down and starting to construct that new house. Uh, just bear that picture in mind for a moment. Jesus' death and his resurrection. I want you to think of it in this way. His death is like the application it's the application for sin not only to be eradicated or forgiven, but also everything of his new creation that he has in mind for you. That new building uh, that he has in mind for you to be constructed uh, in you. It's all been applied for at the cross. And then the justification, that, that resurrection is like the approval. Without the resurrection, there is no new construction that can be built. Without the resurrection, Without the resurrection, there is no uh, forgiveness of sin. Uh, it's only an application. You can't build anything unless you have the approval. And so here we have both. Paul says we have uh, the death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. His raising to life is God's thumbprint. It's his stamped approval on Jesus that what he applied for has been accepted and completely endorsed by God. Justification, I've heard other preachers say, it's just, if, uh, just as if I never did those sins. It's just as if I'm completely made new. And so in that justification, uh, it's like your debt has been cancelled. It's like he's saying that um, you, you now are free of any charge that was made against you, whether it was something that you knew of or something that somebody else made a charge against you. It's been completely uh, dealt with. Now, what if we don't have a resurrection? 
Well, we don't have forgiveness for sins. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised to life, you're still in your sin. He goes on to say that our preaching is useless, therefore, and we are false witnesses. If Jesus has not been raised to life. You see, this was Paul's main message. And you need to hear why this is so important. Because Paul was one who did not believe that Jesus had been resurrected. In fact, before he became a Christian, he was going from town to town to find people who did believe that Jesus had been resurrected. And he tried to silence them from saying so. He put people in prison. He even endorsed people being put to death. But on one road trip to Damascus, he had such a life-changing experience that from that time on, he would preach the gospel is Jesus was resurrected. What happened to Paul? Well, he was visited uh, by Jesus. A, a bright shining light stopped him in his tracks. Even his companions heard Jesus speaking to him. And in that moment, Paul lost his sight and uh, Jesus said to him, you need to go and see Ananias in the city of Damascus. He will pray for you and he'll give you your sight back in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so at that moment, Paul knew he had encountered the risen Jesus. It's not possible to have an encounter of Jesus if he has not been resurrected, if he's just a dead Messiah. It could have been his imagination, but he had such an experience where his eyes were blinded and such detail around who to go see and where to find him that he knew it had to be the Jesus that was resurrected. So when he gets to Damascus, he did not know. But meanwhile, while he had been on the road to Damascus, Ananias had a word from God as he was praying. The Holy Spirit said to him, Saul, who we know as Paul, is coming into Damascus and he's uh, had a vision of Jesus. I want you to pray for him. This was a gutsy move. Ananias had to doubly be sure that this was God because if he stepped out and he had it wrong, it could certainly be his life. But he was so sure this was from God. He stepped out and he found Paul and uh, led him to faith in Jesus, prayed for him. Paul received his sight back and all of a sudden Paul was ready. He wanted to tell everybody about this risen Jesus. He knew that this Jesus was the Messiah and that he is risen. He is alive. I've met him. He's telling everybody about him. So if we have no resurrection, then we have no, uh, we have no forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, you have no approval. And so this is a serious point. Uh, it's not possible to have victory over sin if we have a dead Messiah. It's not possible to have forgiveness over sin if Jesus did not raise from the dead. And so you might have ticked the box Christian and still not believe in the resurrection. But it's not possible to be a Christian if there is no forgiveness of sin. Because then it's down to our own merit and we're not good enough. There's no way that we could pay for this new design, this new life that he has for us, this heavenly built structure that starts on the inside. We can't do that. 
So if you're going to argue that Jesus was not raised from the dead, you have to do so in isolation because every single writer in Scripture, every single witness, witnessed that Jesus was raised from the dead. In order to say that he wasn't raised from the dead, you have no proof and there's no one that you can actually go to read about that says he, it was otherwise. You, you actually end up making conjecture around what you think might have happened, but with no evidence. Here we have evidence through many different account, encounters of Jesus, that Jesus was raised uh, to life. So let's take a look under the hood of this new construction, this new creation that has been approved for us. So I want to illustrate uh, what some Christians have effectively done with the resurrection. Imagine uh, having the designs of your house now all approved, you're ready to go, and rather than actually going and building it, rather than uh, taking a hold of the funds that have already been uh, put aside for you, uh, instead you go and live in the old shack that you lived in before. You decide it's comfortable there, I know where everything is, I know that it's got holes in the roof, that rodents come in and eat all of my food, and that uh, thieves come in and steal things. I know that I'm tormented there, but I know what it is, and so I'm just going to stay there. Imagine how foolish that would be to have all of the approval. You've said yes to Jesus. You've had your sins forgiven. Uh, you have the full new construction. And the foundation has been laid uh, because Christ is our foundation. But nothing else gets constructed on it. How foolish that might be. There are many Christians, in fact, who have said yes to Jesus. But they have no clue what the resurrection is actually for. They don't realize that the resurrection gives them full approval to give them a new life. That they don't have to stay in that old shack or in those old habitual sins. Jesus has given them the victory. The resurrection life awaits them. And so I want to take you to Colossians. And uh, this is where we find uh, a little bit of uh, insight from Paul as to what it looks like to step into this new design, this new construction that God has given us. Let me read to you firstly from chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised. Now he's not talking about circumcision that the uh, Israelites did in the Old Testament. Uh, he's talking about uh, it metaphorically, that the heart itself, the flesh or our fleshly ways have been cut away from our heart. Uh, that we have uh, circumcised our heart uh, by simply repenting and giving God everything of us. So in him you were circumcised, having been buried with him in baptism. Notice he says, buried with him. Whatever's buried is dead, or at least you hope so. Uh, we were buried with him in baptism. Those things are things that we don't go back for. We don't dig them up again. They're not things that we hold on to. They're not things that we uh, talk about burying, but we don't do. We buried him in baptism and in, uh, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So pause here for a moment. Your sin was not only forgiven, but it was buried. There is a putting away, a burial. There's a funeral service. So then we go to chapter 3. How, how do we actually bury those things? How do we circumcise our heart? 
we, you know, first we place our, our faith in Jesus, but what's our part to play as we place our faith in Jesus? And we find this as we read through chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, first he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He is your life. We are setting ourselves in him. Now listen, he says, set your hearts, set your minds on Christ. Let your attention, let your focus be fixed on Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of God, who is in the heavenly realm. Set your mind on the heavenly realm. Set it on the new construction, on the things that he has already set up for you. Uh, Ephesians says that we have access into the heavenly realm, and we do. It's in Jesus. Set your minds and your hearts on those things. Now, when he says your life is now hidden with Christ in God, he is saying that everything that you see in Jesus that is life-giving, everything that you see in Him that is victorious, everything that you see in Him that is loving, that is hope-filled, that is joyful, that is peace-filled, they're all yours. Set your hearts on Him. Seek His direction in your life. This is where life in the Spirit bears fruit here on earth by imagining Jesus. Now, I had a dream the other night, uh, only a few nights ago, where um, I found myself uh, concerned about my image on, and how uh, that came across and how it was represented um, in the public forum. I don't know if it's because of all the video footage that we've had to do uh, now with, um, with church, but uh, it's, it's not something I've voiced before. But I found myself in my dream going there. It's funny how God uses dreams to unearth things at times. And I found that God said uh, right there at that moment, Steve, don't worry about your image. Don't set your mind on, your, on the image of who you are, but set your mind on the image of who you're becoming in me. Can I encourage you, set your hearts, set your minds on things above. Don't live as though you're walking or driving rather in your car, looking, uh, driving uh, with your eyes set on the revision mirror. Uh, that's what it looks like to actually have your, your eyes set on yourself, your eyes set on where you've been. Uh, you won't get far or you, you'll uh, end up crashing or hurting somebody else if you keep on looking at your past. You need to keep your eyes fixed ahead. Keep your eyes fixed on what Christ has for you. Not only do you have full approval to manifest the life of Jesus in you, you have an obligation to establish his life in you. He's given you the spirit. And Romans 8 talks about this obligation that we have to the spirit. But let me read to you from Colossians chapter 3. And listen, this is something that uh, is not spoken of a great deal um, in church, and it should be. I think it's something that uh, is the other half of the grace message uh, and it's certainly sandwiched in there of whenever we hear of how to, how to find life in Christ this is the other half which is our part in uh, stepping in with the Holy Spirit uh, in cutting away the flesh and so uh, let me read to you um, from verse 5 put to death 
just think about that for a moment. That's a very um, uh, pointed part that he's calling us to do. He, he says it's our part to do. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, this is something that, that is spoken of in Romans 8 as well. Paul says, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body. Uh, but here he actually outlines what some of those misdeeds are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Uh, they're prevalent in our society. This is not something that was new to Paul's society. Uh, we have it here as well and uh, in different measures and in different um, availabilities. Evil desires and greed. And then he says, which is all idolatry. Anything that you go to uh, outside of coping in or looking to Jesus, anything that you cope on, anything that uh, you use to numb your senses, they're all idols to look to something else to fix a problem that you have right now or to uh, bring you know, success or to bring fulfillment. Uh, but they're cheaply brought because they're brought by things that don't have life. So he says, uh, put to death those things. They don't have life. They won't give you the kind of... Jesus didn't uh, die in order that you could hold on to those things. He died and was resurrected so that you could have life in abundance in the new way. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, Jesus is returning and he's been made judge of the living and the dead. Uh, we will rise um, for those who believe in Jesus. We'll be given new bodies, praise God. Uh, but he will judge at the end of time. And for those who have not placed their trust in him, the wrath of God, something that people don't really like to talk about, they like to think that you know, God's a loving God, surely he won't bring judgment in any way. But he's already done it. He's already brought justice on his own son. And for those who have rejected his son, they simply still stand under his condemnation because nothing's been paid for. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. So he goes on to make the list a little bit more extensive. Anger, rage, malice, which is simply uh, wishing ill will on somebody else. Slander, which is talking poorly about somebody else in front of others. And filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Notice he says, you have put off your old self and you're putting on your new self. This is an active role. It starts at the cross, but we're learning to put on the foundations of Christ everything that is of the image of Christ. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all as um, and is, sorry, Christ is all and is in all. Uh, I just want you to um, pay attention to, the, uh, firstly he says, it's an equalizer. Uh, everything that Christ paid for is an equalizer. We all have access to the same uh, life-giving um, uh, life in Christ. Heaven's Full inheritance is ours. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're somebody who is a super spiro or somebody who's new to faith, we all have the same access. So now you must rid yourself and uh, you can fill in the blank. What is it that Jesus is calling you to rid yourself of that you just know is not of heaven? It's not of him. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a doubt. 
Maybe it's uh, uh, you know, holding on to unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. What is it that you're holding on to that you need to reconcile with God and in the power of the Spirit to put to death? You were not given a new life with, without the promise of the power to break the chains of sin. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to rid ourselves of these things. That's the good news. Uh, we don't have to wonder or even think to ourselves, well, uh, I'm saved by, by grace, but I'm no different to my neighbor. No, he's given you all the, the uh, ability to be able to put to death the things that, we were, uh, that you were chained to prior to um, your faith in Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's move on. So verse 12 of chapter 3 goes on to talk about, uh, so we've talked about putting off the old self. Now we're going to talk about putting on the new, and this is what it looks like. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Tell you what, when I read that list, I realize I need more. I need more of these things in my life. I realize uh, they're, they're things that, that God is still shaping in me. And as part of our putting on the new self, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So how do we clothe ourselves with these things? We set our hearts and our minds on the image of Christ. We set our, our, uh, our focus towards Him. We put to death the things uh, that are no longer, that they've been buried with Christ. They no longer belong with us. They don't belong in the new construction of the temple He's forming us into. We take a hold of it by walking in the Spirit. So lastly, uh, His resurrection uh, is a promise for us that if He was resurrected, which we've already established He was, if He was resurrected, then the promise is that He's coming back again. He's the first fruits of a, a new resurrected body. In other words, what was true for Him is now true for me. When He returns, we all receive our resurrected bodies as well. What He's building in us is all of the uh, internal a life of the Spirit, loving one another. But with it comes, uh, when Jesus returns, a completely imperishable body. Uh, right now, Paul talks about our bodies right now as being a tent. It's perishable, it's temporary. But the bodies that we are to receive, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's a place that will be permanent. It's imperishable. It's a great promise. It's where our hope lies. The resurrection it's such a powerful message. And so I want, to, I want to say to you, believer, have you built on the foundations with the new construction, the approval that you've been given? Are you ridding yourself of the old self and taking a hold of the new? This morning, I would just encourage you, uh, wherever you're at, to take a moment in prayer to allow Jesus to come and uh, lead you in His strength to life and fullness and hope in every area. If there's an area of hopelessness in your life or an area where you're finding yourself repeating the same old things or when pressure comes and you're under stress and uh, something pops out that you know is nasty and wasn't, 
wasn't something that you would normally like people to see. You, you know then, God, there's something there that you're wanting me to put off and to take a hold of the new in you. Uh, if you've never uh, thought through the resurrection of Jesus before and you're not a Christian, and uh, maybe you've, you've even ticked the box, Christian, but you've never really in a, a moment said, no, I, I'm, I'm taking hold of what Jesus did for me and I want to I give my life humbly and wholly to Him. I don't want to live a life where I'm trying to build my own house. I want Him to build the house. I've tried to build the house myself and it keeps falling down and it falls down in the storms of life. It, it, it doesn't have um, you know, the security that I need. All the things I've built have uh, wasted away or they're, they're just smoke and mirrors because they don't really hold the security. I really, it's, if it's up to me, then, um, then uh, I'm in trouble. And so I want to encourage you this morning, take a step of faith, a bold step of faith to say, Jesus, I, w I want to take a hold of what you promised is mine. That's full approval. I want that this morning. And so if, that, if that's you this morning, I want you to pray with me uh, just now. We're going to just say a prayer of salvation asking Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour and, uh, and asking Him to forgive us of all our sin, to take a hold of everything of His death and also His resurrection, where you're justified, where your sin is completely paid for and where He gives you the, the new keys to the, to the house or the new design to step into life in all its fullness. So let me pray for you. Father God, I pray on behalf of those who are making a decision this morning to place their trust in you. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for sins committed that we've uh, wrongfully done against you or against others. Uh, even the sins committed against us, we, we just give that to you. All the shame, all the regrets. And Father God, we trust that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me and that he was resurrected to life according to your approval of what he did on the cross. And so I give everything to him, nailing it to the cross, burying it at the, at the grave. And I take a hold of the promise of Jesus, that new covenant that is found in him, that when he returns, that he would find me with this house that he had purchased for me, completely redone, completely and, and newly created in Him. I want to live a life that honours Him and that follows Him in Jesus' name. And I give Him my life, that He's my Lord and Saviour. I want to follow Him the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, Amen.